The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. And of course, this show is brought to you by the SB Nation family of NFL podcasts. And I am joined as usual by my co-host, not not Sad Boy John this week, uh, for those of you watching live. It's it's just John Sheeran this week. Just straight across the board, John Sheeran. John, how you doing, man? It's their own two uh rough one we'll talk about that but uh how's how's life treating you yeah man i'm always i'm always sad boy john i don't have to title myself that every week but yeah i'm here i showed up unlike the uh, Bengals defense they did not show up they did not show up at all and um yeah that was that was pretty that was a very um early 2018 type of performance that we saw this week against the 49ers. We'll talk about a lot of different aspects about the 49ers game, a little bit of X's and O's with that, as well as, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team so far through just two weeks, what to expect going forward, and how high is the ceiling once some of these guys return to the lineup, when some of these injured guys return. For those of you who follow John and I on Twitter, and if you don't, I don't know why you do not, but you should, uh, we kind of engaged not really we didn't we didn't engage in the conversation we just said hey we should talk about this on the show we're going to have a quarterbacks discussion and a tanking discussion based on some news that has hit the nfl wire especially some news that involves the afc north division and the Bengals' bitter rivals we'll also preview the bills game talk about that what to expect some predictions in that game and we will have the phone line open tonight we do not have a, uh, a guest to help us preview tonight, so we kind of figured, hey, let's let's keep the phone line open in case you guys want to call, in case you guys are not being shy and you want to talk to us about uh, the Bengals and whatever else is on your mind, you can get in touch with us via call or text 949-542-6241. John, you know, I, I, I actually spoke with my, my brother, who is a, a Bengals guy this week, and he was like, you know, what are you guys going to talk about? They're 0-2, they're not playing well. There's kind of, a, I mean, to me, there's a lot to talk about, especially, I, I'm especially interested in the conversation that uh, we're going to have about quarterbacks and the future of this team personally, but I think there's a lot to talk about. 
there's always a lot to talk about. If if your team's really good, there's a lot to talk about with what's going right. If they're really bad, there's a lot to talk about when things go wrong. And unfortunately, over the past four years, we have a lot of experience about talking about a bad football team. So we're pretty much used to this. Yeah. And ironically, the the reactions post, the, the post-game reactions to the week two loss on our YouTube channel, that was one of the highest commented and highest viewed videos on our channel, uh, which is pretty interesting. A lot of the comments actually came from 49ers fans, it seemed. And, you know, a lot of those 49er fans were actually very uh, complimentary. They actually, hey, you, you know, you guys are headed in the right direction. You, you know, well, so they lied to us. Shake this one off. Yeah, yeah, they, maybe. Yeah. Um, so they were very cordial to Bengals fans, at least from what, what I saw on the channel. So, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of interest still in this team, despite them being 0-2. So let's talk about what happened this past Sunday. Let's let's start with this, John. Did you expect that result? I, I I think I think I didn't because I didn't think big picture wise just how much different um, the Seahawks and the 49ers were and the very important facets that determined both outcomes of the game. I thought, you know, there would be some intangible aspect about the home opener with the new head coach. You know, even though the offense isn't fully healthy, they could carry some of that momentum that they had in the first half against Seattle. And what we saw was just, just a bunch of weaknesses exploited in a perfect storm of, of what the 49ers did. And I, I think a lot of us, including myself, underrated how good the 49ers were. I thought that they were a very interesting team coming into this season because they have a very smart and innovative head coach. They have a quarterback who, for the most part, in the right situation, doesn't make a lot of mistakes and is very accurate with the football and a defense that is finally really coming together off of a lot of high round draft pick capital and investments. And just uh, everything's really coming together at the right time for them. And it's exciting for them. And unfortunately, you know, the Bengals just kind of ran into a team, you know, coming together at the right time in just an embarrassing fashion, I guess, because they just were not ready for anything that San Francisco threw at them. I was not personally overly impressed with Jimmy Garoppolo. No. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like he was a little bit more of a caretaker of the football. And at times he really didn't even do that. He threw a bad interception and, um, you know, a couple of other plays where you kind of go, okay. I mean, elusiveness was good. Uh, the, the ability to extend plays, get out of the grasp of defensive linemen. But again, to a much larger extent than what we saw in week one, uh, this loss was kind of about a team who, you know, may be better or more talented or more experienced coaches, kind of a myriad of, of different things that could be, you know, playing in their corner. But really, it was a team waiting for the Bengals to make mistakes. It was a team that uh, tried to exploit some weaknesses, especially on defense, and did a good job of that and and really made the Bengals pay. Um, and so, I, I, you know, it's not nothing to take away from Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not saying he played bad. I just – I wasn't overly impressed with him personally. It was more, um, you know, letting letting some of the other players do, do some different things, run a specific scheme against the Bengals – and uh, they really carved up the defense to 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 get this win here. I think he's in the perfect s- spot and scenario for what he does well. And like like you said, there wasn't anything overly impressive about what he did. But at the end of the day, he threw the ball twenty five times, and I think he was recorded as accurate for twenty of them. And they weren't just spectacular tight window throws either. But like here, here's really the difference between the two games. Like 
with Seattle, they have a quarterback who is, you know, top five in the league and Russell Wilson and is able to put a team on or an offense on his back. And that's essentially what they didn't do against the Bengals. They ran the ball a lot. They were really stale in their play calling and they try to get Chris Carson more involved when they have a great quarterback in Russell Wilson. Then they kind of took the game out of his hands for most of it up until the very end when they eventually pulled away with the 49ers. They're like, okay, Jimmy, you're just the driver of this fully modded Mustang and you're just going to get behind the wheel, turn on cruise control, and we're going to ride ourselves to 41 points. The differences in this game were really just Kyle Shanahan's play calling versus Brian Schottenheimer's play calling. And like Shanahan's just an offensive genius and he's, one of the more consistent play callers in the league. So it was that play calling, the personnel groupings that he used compared to what Seattle used, and just how much better and more athletic and powerful San Francisco's offensive line was. Because honestly, like the defensive line for the Bengals, it just was completely nullified. It looked nothing like they did against Seattle. And I think there's a major difference in those groups as well. And then you combine all that up against a defense that has the worst linebacking core in the league, look even worse against what they did. And again, a defensive line just couldn't get off blocks and whatnot. And what San Francisco did a lot, especially in the running game, when they ran 250 yards, a lot of misdirections, a lot of counters, a lot of pre-snap motions. And again, if you have linebackers who are very slow into their fits and Preston Brown and Nick Vigil and can't get off blocks, and then you have all that pre-snap movement and then misdirections and counters going your way, it makes them even even worse. And, I, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at, at you guys, so just, just, bear, just bear with me here. So San Francisco ran 21 personnel. 21 personnel is two receivers, one tight end and two running backs for 17 plays. That was the second most in week two for any offense. They had a 76% success rate. Success rate is basically moving the ball on whatever down to basically achieve a first down. Uh, First down success rate is 40% to a first down. Second down is 50% to a first down. And third down success rate is obviously converting the first down. 76% rate. That was the most in the NFL for that personnel grouping on the second most plays run out of that personnel grouping. That's insane. Like, they ran, they ran six pass plays out of that personal grouping for 83% success rate. They ran the ball 11 times out of that personal grouping for a 73% success rate. 22 personnel, that's even more bunch. That's two That's two receivers and two tight ends. And, and, or excuse me, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's two running backs, excuse me, two running backs and two tight ends. So that's even more bunched up. That's 18 plays that they ran. That's the most in the league. 61% success rate. That was the most, or excuse me, those 18 plays are the most ran by any team by eight plays. They ran three pass plays out of that for 100% success rate, 15 runs out of that for 53% success rate. So that's what that's really what she, that's really what Kyle Shanahan's offense is. It's really just condensing the formation, getting everybody into the box. And when you have a defense that's not very athletic, it's not very good at reading plays, and then you're getting all this misdirection and then attacking the perimeter of the defense when everybody's slow to react, it was just a perfect storm of disaster. And that's where the 250 yards on the run came from. That's where all the, the play action passes for Garoppolo to to get explosive plays down the field like compared to seattle's game plan it was just so much more complex and intriguing and so much more able to attack the weaknesses that cincinnati has so really this was just a tale of two defenses that we saw and unfortunately the defense that we saw against san francisco is so much more volatile to a more modernized offense that it, it may be the more common thing that we see going forward in, in this season yeah great stuff there john um Great research there. I mean, I I spoke to some people that are very familiar with the 49ers and some folks that, um, you know, have watched quite a bit of 49ers football know about Kyle Shanahan. And, you know, they basically Kyle Shanahan basically said leading up to the week that, you know, they they found some things on tape uh, talking about the Bengals defense. They found some things on tape against Seattle. They, they looked at what Seattle did 
or didn't was unable to do against the Bengals defense. And they did a lot of different types of types of runs. Like you mentioned, the misdirections, the things really what it kind of came down to for me, and this is a far more simplistic and far less intelligent type of presentation than you just made, John. Don't tell yourself short. Uh, like that. Really, really to me, they tried to get those line, but those Bengals linebackers to move laterally as much as possible. And they could, and those guys, that is not their strength. Their strength is going downhill, trying to tackle and, and make plays there. Now vigil had some, uh, you know, combine workouts where he's supposedly has some agility and whatnot, but he has shown that that is not a strength of his Preston Brown has shown that that is not a strength of his. Uh, so it, that's why you saw a lot of those runs, a lot of those screen passes go out to the outside, swing it outside and try and get those linebackers out of position, try and get them to move laterally, which is not their strength. And they made the Bengals pit play. Now I, I want to transition into something kind of similar and it's kind of a little bit of player regression. It's a little bit of, uh, why isn't this guy playing? That sort of thing. You look at linebackers, you draft Jermaine Pratt. He's He didn't take a defensive snap in week two. He's a bystander. Uh, you know, the, that is your biggest position of need or, or arguably one of your biggest positions of need, one of your weakest position groups on the team. You wait until the third round to get this guy. Supposedly, you really like him. He has a real well, well-rounded skill set. Not, not a defensive snap. You see the issues plaguing the defense at linebacker. Why draft the kid? Why not play him in a, in a game that's out of control at least later to get him some snaps? I don't get it. I don't get it either, man. Like you, you saw Brown and Vigil just get continuously exposed. Like that's it's just what the 49ers do, man. They have these athletic off- offensive linemen. George Kittle is the most all-around complete head in the game getting after. He threw Nick Vigil to the ground multiple times in this game. Yep. It was just embarrassing to yep. see. Like, not, not only are they slow, but they're slow to react. That's just the worst combination that you can have. I don't know what the reason for for not trusting Pratt out there because, again, like the Bengals were in nickel for most of this game. Like, they're always going to be this season. They didn't have Evans out there, you know, in any base scenario, and obviously didn't have Pratt. And unfortunately, you had you know not only Sean Williams play in the box so much because of the nature of how condensed their formations were. You also have Jesse Bates play in the box for about. 19 of his of his 70 snaps that's a lot more than he's used to playing that close mm-hmm. line of scrimmage and and he struggled too he's obviously extremely athletic in his own right but he's not used to playing so close to the line of scrimmage and his angles were completely off so when you have someone so much condensed formations where you have a lot of box defenders at the same time but you also have an offensive line that gets so much push in the first level and then you basically make it a horizontal game where you run to the outside and run these stretches run these jet sweeps and whatnot and you have guys who are in this tight area Reading, reading wrong off, off a of misdirection and then basically beating to the edge. And this, this seems like a situation where Pratt would have been a hell of a lot more preferable than Preston Brown, who was just looked like an elephant out there. And I don't know. I have no idea why they didn't play him. I really don't know. It, it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't to me either. And, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the draft a little bit later and, and the Bengals' approach to that. We'll talk about that a little bit later in a, in a different segment coming up here. But, uh, I mean, you, you – you needed this draft for immediate impact players. You have to go all the way to the the third pick of the fourth round. So basically the Bengals, I think, sixth or seventh selection total in this year's class to even find a guy who starts. And oh, by the way, he got hurt in the game and left. That's Michael Jordan. So, I, I mean, that is not what you want out of a 
rookie head coaches draft class in terms of immediate impact guys. You're not getting anything out of your your first initial picks of this class, which is really a shame. I'm glad you brought up Williams and Bates. I don't want to harp on them too much because really it was a collective defensive collapse, but they are currently ranked as two of the worst safeties by pro football focus. Um, Very surprising to me because they both basically led the team in tackles last year. They led the team in interceptions last year. They were the really the lone bright spots of the defense in it last year, and they are playing a much different brand of football, a much worse brand of football. Do you directly attribute that to what you just said, them pl- needing to play closer to the line of scrimmage because of the linebacker issues and them trying to mask that? Or is there a different regression happening because of the cycling through different defensive coordinators so frequently over the past couple of years? Yeah, I think obviously with Bates, him playing that close is just not good for him. And obviously he's a free safety. He's going to play most of his snaps as a free safety. But Bates right now is just he doesn't look very comfortable in, in this defense. And they're playing a lot of cover cover one and cover three where you have Sean Williams playing in the box or you have uh, Clayton Fedgelin playing in the box as like a third linebacker when you when you're forced to you know, get more box defenders up there. But like the Williams issues, we kind of saw that in the preseason, right? He took bad angles and was struggling covering tight ends. So yeah. maybe that's that's an issue that's carrying over. Maybe he's just regressing as a player overall. I think it's a little bit too early for us to, you know, kind of, you know, concern ourselves large picture with Bates. He might just be going through uh, a struggle. This is kind of what Willie Jackson did um, last year in his in his sophomore year, where he just wasn't getting comfortable with a new defense. And maybe that is the thing. Maybe, you know, Anarumo's scheme is not exactly doing the best for him. I think... Obviously, you know, Russell going from Russell Wilson to then Kyle Shanahan's Jimmy Grapple offense is, is tough for any uh, secondary to kind of handle. Well, I, I think for Bates, it's more of a wait and see kind of thing because I think he's still really talented. And I think this scheme, for the most part, puts him in proper place. But right now, he's just getting burned. And the, and that's the testament for the entire defense. Yeah. So a couple of big questions here uh, to kind of wrap up a little bit of, of what we're talking about with the, with the 49ers blowout the home opener and side note in case you didn't really have a good look at the schedule that was the Bengals only home game in the month of September uh and you and you lose by 24 points that's not what how you want to draw that up so uh effort level particularly on defense do you do you question the effort level at all on on the defense or is it simply I mean I saw a lot of missed tackles I saw a lot of a lot of second chance opportunities by the 49ers running backs, by their receivers to gain further yards because of poor tackling and really far, far few players were immune to that issue. I saw Jimmy Garoppolo escape a, some pressure that probably could have been or should have been a sack or two. Uh, so, you know, I think that's w- one area where I say, okay, where's the effort level, but is that really, I don't know. Are, are there other issues at play there? And I'm overstating the possibility of a lack of effort. Like the tackling last week was not nearly as big of an issue as it was this week. There was one right. play in particular. I remember it was like a third and one and the four just ran like inside zone towards the left. And it was up against that, that, that five, two look that the Bengals are deploying now with, with three defensive tackles. Gino completely resets the line of scrimmage. He blows up the point of attack. That's all. It's great. And all then you have, Billings and Glasgow just getting washed out and you have the entire second level kind of going with the flow of the play. So there's just a big congested blob 
towards where this this play is kind of flowing in, in terms of where the direction is. So the running back just cuts back, and then you have those those force and fill players, William Jackson and Nick Vigil, who's coming back from behind, just completely whiff. And it was like it it, it, it looked like Avanta's perfect whiff from last year, where it's just like this guy is just dazed and confused and doesn't know what he's doing. We just saw that multiple times in this game, and it ended that run ended up being like thirty eight yards just off of just like a, a third read by the running back, and he made like three guys miss without really doing anything. So, I, like honestly, like they were just so completely and utterly outmatched and out game plan. I think there's just there could have just been a mental thing where like we we just can't we just can't keep up, and I don't know what mental toll that takes on players who presumably had some sense of confidence coming into this game because of how they played in week one. But like, man, this is, this would just be such a rally call for Lou Anarumo and the other defensive coaches on this team to just basically guys like, guys, what are we doing? Like this isn't 2018 anymore. We can't keep playing like this. Like I know the offense isn't nearly as good as it should be, but like this, this was just embarrassing on multiple levels. And I think the effort level was definitely part of that. Yeah, so uh, glad you brought up Vontez Perfect. We put up a Twitter poll um, we on on our Twitter account, just asking Bengals fans, "Do you miss Vontez Perfect?" And really, that was in light of the linebacker issues that were very obviously on display in Week Two. Twenty-seven percent said yes, sixty-one percent said no, and twelve percent said it's too early to tell. So uh, some some people miss Perfect. I've seen a couple of Raiders games, and he's he's kind of making some plays, but. Uh, looking looking a little bit closer to the Vontez perfect of old, not the one we saw last couple of years there. But, um, you know, a couple of other big questions here, John, and, and I think this is probably the most important, but real Jekyll and Hyde nature by the, by the Cincinnati Bengals from week one to week two. You would think that the results would be, would have been reversed, right? You would have think they you would think they would have had, you know, the week to kind of prepare and adjust. They're going back home maybe a perceived weaker team than a Seahawks team. Regardless, very, uh, you know, a dichotomy of different results from week one and week two from the Cincinnati Bengals. Personally speaking, I think they're probably somewhere in the middle of both of those teams in terms of who they actually are for 2019. What do you think? Well, like they're 0-2 and they have like a point of like negative 25 so at the end of the day like in between is still a fairly bad team right i just i just think like it was just so dependent upon who they were playing and how smart their opponent was to just take advantage of their weaknesses like it if they play a team like seattle who you know had 82 percent of 11 personnel and just took the took the game out of the hands of the quarterback for about 40 minutes they're gonna have a shot because again seattle's defense wasn't that good but like san francisco that, that that's like more times than not what you're going to see in terms of play calling and athleticism on all, all three levels of their defense, like at, at home, like I, I would say they're more closer to what they were in week two than what they were in week one. Cause I think they were just able to take advantage of deficiencies in Seattle's game plan and, and play calling. But like, it's depressing obviously because they got blown out by 24 at home, but you know, the the good the good news is like the schedule is still not tremendously difficult. Like, yeah, they have, they have the Jets on on docket like late in the year. They have obviously the Dolphins, um, and a couple of other easy opponents. But like, I I need I need to see something like change. I can't just assume that things are going to get better, even if they do get a little bit healthier, because these issues specifically with the linebackers and and you know 
just nullifying that pass rush with, with certain types of play calling, those issues aren't going to go away overnight. And unless the offense completely carries them, um, which I don't find very likely with a, a crappy run game and a so-so passing game, it's just these issues are just going to keep persisting. Yeah, we. I mean, we can't. We're sitting here kind of harping on the defense, harping on the defense and the poor performances there. We, I mean, Bengals let up a number of sacks again. The offensive line, they're unable to run the football, so major issues on the offensive line that can't go overlooked either. Um, I, I guess then the question, kind of offshooting from the last question, you know, if if you kind of feel that there may be more of the, you know poorer team or you know some they're not going to fare very well the rest of the season or they're not going to fare well in the immediate future do you think that the return of injured players possibly Jonah Williams if that happens at all this year AJ Green which seems like it will be relatively soon um, you know uh, Cordy Glenn all of these guys that have been sitting out that are pretty high profile players for this team do you see if they do return that that will have a noticeable jump and have a much bigger impact and avoid losses like we saw in week two, or, I mean, it'll, or you kind of, it'll help, but not by that much. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just weird to assume that because, you know, in this game alone, like the Bengals right now have nine guys who missed Wednesday's practice. One of them being Carl Lawson, Ryan Glasgow, like right. injuries, injuries will pop up the entire year. So as soon as, you know, Glenn and green get back, you could have, you could be suffering from other major injuries as well. Like this team has proven that they can't stay healthy throughout the year. Um, I think the return of Jonah Williams makes this offensive line better, whether he's at left tackle or, or right tackle. Um, whenever Glenn does get back, I'm not sure what we're exactly going to get because we're talking about a guy who's now missed over a month with a concu- with, with a concussion. So when he comes back, I wonder what type of player we're going to get because even even last year he was just a so so average player, and for the most part, that's that's what you're getting with with both Andre Smith and Bobby Hart. Maybe giving those guys a little bit too much credit, but I, I think a healthy Jonah Williams definitely makes this team better. Obviously, a healthy AJ Green over Damian Willis makes makes the passing game better in that sense. But at the same time, they, they have to remain healthy and become healthy before those two get back for them to really make a total net positive difference because, unfortunately, with this team, injuries will pop up more times than not. Speaking of, uh, well, uh, we'll get to that in just a sec. But, yeah, I mean, the injuries are, are killing this team. But like you said, I mean, they happen all over the league, and this team was really not – very well prepared for both of their tackle starting tackles or left guard left tackle going down with with significant injuries early in the season they were not well prepared they did not have ample depth on the offensive line really throughout mo- much of the offensive line um, to, to prepare for that so um, you know that's uh, obviously things will improve when some of these star players come back but uh, you know definitely not a given. Not the result that the Bengals would have hoped for in their home opener. 41-17 was the end result uh, against San Francisco, and the 49ers continue to haunt the Bengals in terms of historical dominance, I suppose. Before we get to our next segment, I want to just touch on some real brief kind of league news and notes in case some of you have not heard or maybe have been living in a bomb shelter. I don't know, but... Ben Roethlisberger out for the year, uh, elbow elbow surgery, so he is done for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the year. 
John mentioned that the Bengals schedule gets a bit easier down the stretch. Obviously no Ben Roethlisberger as well as no Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell for that team. That makes that uh, contest a bit easier, at least on the surface. Drew Brees is set to miss for the, for the New Orleans Saints, uh, set to miss a uh, pretty significant amount of time with a thumb ligament injury. Sounds pretty similar to what Andy Dalton has suffered a couple of times. So he is uh, out of the lineup. Going back to the Steelers, they, are, they have traded a first-round pick, a 2020 first-round pick for defensive back Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, obviously, the Miami Dolphins engaging in a fire sale so uh, they, they've gotten rid of quite a few players so far, apparently have others on the, uh, on the open market. If, if teams want to call and get them, Kenyon Drake and others apparently are, uh, you know, uh, available for trade if, if they want uh, to get those players. So a lot of different things going on around the league. The Jets, you mentioned another team that the, the Bengals play later in the season. Sam Darnold, their first round rookie quarterback from last year has mono. That's a new one for me. I haven't heard that. So, uh, hey, hey, Sam, maybe, uh, maybe don't don't hit the town so frequently, buddy. Uh, you won't you won't get the mono. So, uh, a lot of different stuff happening around the league. I'm sure I'm missing a few other big. Uh, Jalen Ramsey is another guy that's supposedly maybe on the trade market. He's supposed to play on Thursday night for the Jaguars. We'll see exactly what happens there. The Bengals do not appear to be in the market for him or any other players that have some trade rumors around them, but uh, still interesting landscape around the NFL right now, given injuries, trade rumors, all that stuff. And we wanted to keep you updated on that as well as provide a nice segue for our next segment too. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We welcome uh, those of you who may be new to the program. Thanks for tuning in live here on our usually usual weekly show on YouTube and Cincy Jungle. And thanks to all of you who listen to the podcast after the fact. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Megaphone as well. So really anywhere you get your podcast, you can find our show. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we appreciate all the support you've shown us, especially despite an 0-2 start by the 2019 Bengals. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, just real quick, can you imagine AJ Green's reaction if they traded for Jalen Ramsey? I, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be talk about an awkward, uh, awkward locker room uh, exchange there. Um, you know, and of course, anyone who knows AJ Green or has been around him or has heard him in interviews, he is the most like low key guy of all time. So that thing from what was that two years ago? Yeah. Um, that, that was obviously a, a very, out of character thing. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of two years ago, the Bengals started the 2017 season 0-3. And over the past 20 years, there haven't been, I believe, 98 or 97 teams who have started 0-3. One of those teams has made the playoffs. It was actually last year with the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson led an insane campaign for the last 13 weeks. So this week three game against the Bills that we're going to talk about later is of paramount importance because right now, Bengals are 0-2, and over that same time period, the last 20 years, about 10% of teams have gone on to make the playoffs. So right now, it's basically an all-but-foregone conclusion that the Bengals will not make the playoffs and will miss the playoffs for the fourth straight year now. So that really opens up, I guess, a big-picture topic discussion. Like, what, where do the Bengals go from here in terms of the 2019 season? This is Zach Taylor's first year. They obviously want to evaluate what the roster is. So they can decide who they want to keep long term under a new head coach. Obviously, they had a lot of roster turnover th- this year, but there's going to be even more of that because this is the year that that the 2016 draft class is going to be up for renegotiation and contracts. Some some guys from 2017 are going to have one or two finally, one or two more years left on their deals. So there's just a lot of I guess uncertainty with the state of this roster and the state of a lot of weak positions or whatnot. But when the team is bad. You honestly just got to look at what, how the quarterback is playing. And I know there's been a lot of support for Andy Dalton right now because he's second in the league in passing yards. He's got a four to one TD to interception ratio. His pass rating is kind of high. All these conventional stats that don't really have a lot of weight. He's doing pretty well. The fact of the matter is for the play for the per play advanced metrics, he's been pretty below average so far. And there was a topic, you know, just this offseason about, you know, is is Dalton the guy under Taylor of long term? Are they going to commit to him for a third contract? There's been comments that Mike Brown made and whatnot. So they're not going to make the playoffs this year. More more likely than not, they're not going to make the playoffs this year, despite a soft schedule. And they have a quarterback who's going to be entering the last year of his contract. So I'm not, I am not personally suggesting that they tank because I don't think they're really good enough or bad enough to tank. I think they could just lose on their own because they're just not very good. And unfortunately, injuries are doing a good part of that. But at the same time, you know, you have things going on like like what's happening in Miami who are just really reinventing the real reinventing the wheel when it comes to tanking. But say that they do tank, I guess. And this was a topic that Anthony wanted to discuss. Do you even trust the Bengals to tank right and get the quarterback? Because per Anthony, apparently the Bengals are not very good at drafting quarterbacks, at least from a historical uh, perspective. But at the same time, it could be the best chance that they have of progressing this franchise into the future. So, Anthony, what do you think? Well, I, you know, first of all, I want to preface this with a couple of different things. This isn't an anti, anti-Andy Dalton bashing session. This isn't, you know, that sort of thing. I know there's a lot of passionate Dalton lovers out there. And, uh, you know, as far as what he's done for the team, he's been a productive quarterback. He's a heck of a guy, heck of a human being. So this isn't, you know... Uh, you know, a bash Andy Dalton thing. But I mean, the reality is we're now nine in our ninth year here, another Owen two start, no playoff wins under Andy Dalton. That's that sort of thing, you know, I, that sort of thing. So I also want to preface it with the Bengals have a spotty track record of drafting quarterbacks. Uh, obviously you've got Ken Anderson and Ken Anderson, I believe was a third round pick and Boomer Sison was a second round pick hit on those obviously uh, Carson Palmer, you can call a hit at number one, um, you know, obvious ups and downs in his career, but a very productive quarterback. You can call Andy Dalton a hit in the top of the second round. Um, but there were two major misses in between those two eras of quarterbacks. And it's not just the draft, John, 
the two major misses, of course, number six overall, David Klingler back in uh, 90, what was that, 91, 92. And then, of course, Akili Smith in 99, number three overall, where the Bengals did not take the glut of picks from Mike, Mike Ditka uh, that, that could have reshaped the entire franchise. And, and ironically, the Bengals were so afraid that he or somebody else was going to get Akili Smith, uh, which they did not. They got Ricky Williams. So it, we know the history there, but the Bengals obviously flopped on both of those picks. Some of that is probably on the quarterbacks themselves, the system. Obviously, some of that is the Bengals not doing enough as a team, propping them up properly. But I, I don't know that I fully trust them, uh, you know, unless they have the number one overall pick. I don't know if I really fully trust them to take the best guy out there. This team does not have for a team that uses the draft as a life as its lifeblood. They have a, one of the smallest scouting ta- staffs in the in the NFL. They still send their coaches out to the pro day stuff and granted they need to do some of that, but usually that is your scouting department largely. It is your general manager. The Bengals have a de facto general manager, I guess. But you know, there's uh, the, the, the fact remains that that is not their area of strength, scouting and, and player development, that sort of thing. Recently, the Bengals in the first round have Cedric Abwehi, William Jackson, that's kind of a hit. Uh, you know, you, the, the list goes on and on. John Ross, that's been this, this, Billy Pry. I mean, they haven't been very consistent in the top rounds of the draft lately. So I worry about the Bengals, if they tank, can they do it properly? Can they get the right guy and the guy that can change a franchise as a quarterback? That's, that's my worry. I think my, my one thing is that they just need to try, I think for once, because like the, the, the whole reason why like th- this conversation even sparked was because the Steelers, they traded that first round pick for Mika, mm-hmm. Fitz, Mika Fitzpatrick and that effectively took them out of contention for drafting a quarterback in the first round next year, which is why I supported the move as a Bengals fan or someone who covers the Bengals. And someone said on Twitter, well, the Bengals will probably get jumped by another team getting a quarterback. And that prompted me to say, the Bengals have had the chance in the last three years to draft Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Josh Rosen, say what you want about him. He's still got talent. Lamar Jackson and Dwayne Haskins. All, you know, between picks nine through like 21. Yeah. So obviously having the first overall pick or a top five pick helps you get in the quarterback. But in recent years, some quarterbacks have fallen in the first round as well. So the, the, the object of tanking itself for a first for a first round quarterback loses a little bit of weight when you talk about that. But at the same time, like they passed on those guys because they weren't looking for those guys. They, they weren't interested in drafting Haskins this year. They weren't, they weren't, they, they had high grades on both Watson Mahomes, but they weren't interested in drafting a quarterback. Then they were content with what Dalton is and they were content with building around him. Well, with those three picks that they passed on, that, that they passed on those quarterbacks, they drafted guys to help Dalton. One of them is John Ross, like you just said, who's now becoming a decent player, but had two years of basically ineffectiveness outside of some red zone touches. Billy Price just got benched, and unfortunately now he's starting because of Michael Jordan injury. But that was a complete whiff as a first round pick. And now Jonah Williams, who, who you hope is your franchise left tackle, but he's not even impacting the team right now because he's injured. So in terms in in an attempt to build around the quarterback, they haven't even done a very successful job of that. So when, when you go nine years into this process of just making everything great around the quarterback, they have, they aren't even good at that. So I just think that at this point you have to try the other option, which is 
get a quarterback where you don't have to have this perfect fantasy island of of, of surrounding talent and perfect environment. Just get a quarterback that is good at the things that Dalton isn't and is able to carry a team who doesn't have the perfect offense line, who doesn't have a trio of A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and, and John Ross, and even Tyler Eifert at tight end, who doesn't have a consistently good defense, who, who may have to score 30 points to win, which unfortunately for Dalton is just not his forte in that sense. So I just think that at a certain point, you just got to wake up and say, hey, we're not going to be able to get 2015. That's a, That was a lightning in a bottle of once every 30 years type thing. We just got to go out and get a quarterback that we can compete with the Mahomes, with the Watsons that unfortunately we passed up for other guys. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't disagree with, with what you're saying there. And I think, you know, I think to kind of put a little ray of sunshine on, on this, you know, you mentioned it's, it's unlikely given the zero and two start that the Bengals uh, make the playoffs this year. It is pot to me. For many other teams that would be in this position, it is possible for this team to not only gain some momentum, get competitive toward the towards the end of the year, maybe not make the playoffs, but start showing signs of progression and growth under Zach Taylor at the end of the year. Maybe you have that no man's land draft pick in the teens or something like that because you've won seven games, for instance. You can still, and teams do this all the time. That's how the Chiefs moved up to to, to get Patrick Mahomes. That's I, I think Houston moved up. I yeah, mean, they did. You are still able to be competitive and move up in the draft and get a quarterback of the future. The Bengals are able to do that. They can still salvage this season and look ahead to next season and do and and jump up and get a quarterback. One of these names uh, of the myriad of names over the next year or two that seem to be franchise changing guys. They choose not to do that. They choose to sit on their hands in the draft, and the draft, again, is their lifeblood, yet they don't want to move up and get these impact players. They would rather get guys that are value guys, guys that are best player available. Um, so that drives me nuts. Going to your comments about the Steelers, I, I put out this information. This, this kind of plays into what I'm just talking about. The last time the Steelers had a losing record was in 2003. Uh, they won, uh, they had won 10 games with Tommy Maddox the year prior, but in 03, they won six games that put them at the number 11 pick. Guess who they, they guess who they took at number 11, Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. He turned out to be pretty good. Um, they, the last time the Steelers had a number one overall pick or anything, really anything that was in the top five to 10 pick. You have to go back to 1969. Do you know who they picked? Is it mean Ter- Joe? Terry Bradshaw. Oh, okay. So uh, that is a team that you can trust. And and even with Ben Roethlisberger sidelined, they, they knew Ben Roethlisberger was done for the year. What they do? They've salvaged a first-round pick to go get a defensive back that they think can help them because they're not giving up on this year. So uh, my point in bringing that up is – kind of what I was just talking about. The Bengals can still salvage this season. They can be competitive, maybe even vie for the playoffs. If they get healthy, things fall right. They grow under Zach Taylor, whatever. They can they can do that and still go up and trade future draft capital to move up in 2020 and get one of these guys. And I I don't know that they if if that takes place or even if they're kind of again in that no man's land, that pick 10 to 20 with Andy Dalton at quarterback, I don't know that I would trust them to move up and get a quarterback unless Zach Taylor is absolutely pounding the table. Yeah, I, I wouldn't trust them to do that either unless we see 
completely unusual activity for agency and they don't like to sacrifice draft capital because that's how they build the bulk of the roster turnover by accumulating as many draft picks as possible now in terms of being in no man's land like my whole thing like with with that is that if you scout right you can find quality players in the 10 to 20 range so you don't have to be in the top 10 to grab the best players in the draft um even for for them specifically like they do better in the second round than they do in the first round in terms of recent years and and finding talent and finding core pieces with like, I, I think you have a point because what the Dolphins are doing, like, I don't think that Brian Flores is going to be there very long. I, mm. Unfortunately for him, he might just be a Bill Belichick sleeper agent in the AFC East for all I know. <laughs> but I, I think they're just building for something that is not there right now. What the Bengals need, like, at some point you have to establish a winning culture and this is an opportunity to do that even if you're not good. I think they can still try and again, they're not as talented as many people would think, and they're just not going to win very many games. But I don't think they need to tank to get where they, they need to go. I think they can still try to do what they want to accomplish and maybe end up in a, in a decent spot in the draft. But like for Zach Taylor, they're going to be in with him and his coaching staff and the guys they brought in for the long term and establishing some sense of a winning culture, some sense of a culture where players want to be there and, and not you know, throw in the towel after week three. I think that's important for them, and it's different for, in terms of Miami. So yes, I would like for their draft pick to be as high as possible. No, I don't trust them to be smart with that draft pick. But yes, I, I do think that no matter what they do, they're not going to be very successful, but they should definitely still try to be in terms of just making sure that this is a place where other players want to play and making sure that Zach Taylor has the right message going into 2020. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I want to go back to what I was saying at the, at the onset of this segment, when you had asked me about, you know, kind of clarifying some of my stances on this, the other, the other issue, and I guess I've just been around the, this team a little too long, but the, I mean, the other issue is when they have fielded guys from free agency to, to man the quarterback spot, you know, Fitzpatrick granted he was going into that season as a backup anyway I mean that was kind of it wasn't terrible but it was not great uh you go even further when the Achilles debacle was happening you had Scott Mitchell you had Neil O'Donnell um I mean I don't even trust them to make <laughs> bring in a, a proper quarterback free agent wise unless you know that it's a Peyton Manning situation or something that that comes around once in a blue moon so um you know I, I kind of wanted to add that to my point and luckily if the Bengals do not hit in the draft on a, on a high pick and a quarterback, it is far less crippling to a franchise, especially financially than it used to be because of the CBA. So, I mean, if a guy is a bust, it doesn't really, yes, uh, it, it doesn't really matter as much to your point. Like why not? Why not try? There's no better time in the NFL history right. to just draft as many quarterbacks as possible. If you don't have one, you should always be looking for one. Right. Always been the problem. Yep. And one thing I wanted to ask you, and I, you can maybe this will tip your hand on maybe who's one of your favorite guys. Obviously, Lawrence is a guy that's coming out in 2021, so he's a little bit down the road. There are a, a handful of guys next year, probably Tua and Justin Herbert are the two top guys. I, I mean, are, are all three of these guys in your eyes ones who can overcome some of these organizational deficiencies of the Bengals kind of rise above like a boomer. Granted the team around boomer was insane. Um, like a Ken Anderson, maybe to certain aspects, Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton. But I mean, do you think that one of those guys has the skill level has maybe the mindset? I don't want to make this a draft episode, but no. do you, do you think just kind of looking at the tools there, the makeup of them, are those guys that you can say, you know what? 
those are guys that can put the teams on their back and, and, you know, kind of navigate around the slow free agency, the poor drafting, the small scouting department, the no indoor facility, all of that stuff. I'll even throw one more name in there. Jalen hurts. Like I want to draft oh. as many Oklahoma quarterbacks as possible, but yeah, yeah like, like we're not we're not going into what these guys do best, but yeah, that's that. Those are the guys that you're that you're looking for, the guys who can overcome certain deficiencies. I'm not sure if I can speak for Hubbard specifically because he's probably the guy I've watched the least, and I think he's probably got the most questions with him. Unfortunately, what I think most of us knew that we were going to overhype uh, Trevor Lawrence this offseason. He's only just a sophomore, and he's not obviously God himself out there, and he's he's still working through the motions. But I, I really like Tua. Obviously, I, I think he's got an, an incredible arm. Um, obviously I think there's a different perception we look at in terms of lefties, especially a short lefty, um, who doesn't really look the part, but I think he's almost exactly what they need and he's going to go pretty high in the draft. But yeah, like any, any of those guys, I think have the, has the capability and and has the potential to be much more than what they have at quarterback now. And if those are, if, if that's a guy that doesn't need a perfect scenario around him, that's exactly what they should be looking for. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Herbert kid. He's got a lot of tools, but <clears throat> like you said, there are some questions there. There are other guys. I think uh, that Fromm kid is another one that's that's floating out there. There are a few names over the next couple of years, so a lot of names to choose from. Look, I said this in an interview I did earlier this this week uh, with an ESPN station in in Rochester, New York. Um, I, I, you know, they had asked me, you know, what's the deal with with Dalton and. Are, are they hoping for a rich Gannon type of thing? And maybe that's what happens under Zach Taylor. Uh, maybe, maybe Dalton just needed that guy. And, and really, if you look at the first couple of weeks, there's been a lot of plays that play to that, that have been drawn up that play to Andy Dalton's strengths, the short passes, the intermediate passes, the timing routes, the quote unquote, throwing guys open, all that kind of stuff that, you know, that plays to Andy Dalton's strengths and maybe Zach Taylor can continue to, you know, raise the level of play and, and things get better down the road. Maybe we're overreacting a little bit because of week two, but I think it's an interesting discussion, obviously, regardless of if Andy Dalton is your favorite guy or not, given his contract situation, given the fact that he's coming up on double digit years in the league, uh, this is a discussion that's going to need to happen sometime in the near future anyway. Um, you know, with the Bengals potentially moving on from him. So I, I think it's worth addressing. And um, it's it's kind of a, a scary prospect a little bit, putting the fa- putting your faith in the Bengals and, and offseason, uh, knocking an offseason out of the park. Yeah, but like, I mean, we're playing the Bills this week. And say what you want about Josh Allen, but they're in a much better position now than they were a couple years ago when they didn't have that franchise quarterback. Yeah. They're they're in a position to build a, a team around him under a, a, a cheap rookie contract. And obviously, Allen still has issues to go through, but I mean, they've established a great culture up there. They have a good defense. They invested a ton in the offensive line, and they're they're 2-0 and and, and a, a pretty solid team that is a touchdown favorite over the Bengals, who are unfortunately still in purgatory. Yep. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've been talking about a lot of different stuff, including the loss uh, against the 49ers in week two and a little bit of a debate um, going forward about what the Bengals could do, should do at the quarterback position, especially in the near future going forward and the fact that they're 0-2. And uh, we don't really know the direction that's heading that they're heading 
going forward. We'll be taking some calls, I, I think, if we've got some time or, or some text, if you want to hit us up. We are running a little longer than, than usual here, so uh, we'll try and squeeze them in if we're able and or if you want to give us a call, 949-542-6241, or you can text us if that's uh, more your jam. We'll try and get your, your questions on the air there if we've got some time. If you're new to the show, you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, YouTube, and all of our stuff is on Cincy Jungle. John and I also do some writing for CincyJungle.com, great place for Bengals news, opinions, analysis, breaking news, all kinds of different stuff, so check that out as well. John, you teased that the Bengals now travel to Buffalo to take on the Bills. I, I don't know that I... I think someone, maybe it was Jamie Craig or somebody in the, uh, I'd have to look in the live YouTube chat, but uh, I'm kind of back to week one where I don't know what to expect. <laughs> um, you know, it could be very similar to week two, or it could be something that uh, it seems to be week one. I mean, the Bills, 2-0, respect. They're playing pretty pretty solid football. I don't think they're world beaters at this moment. Um, I think they're beatable, especially on their home turf, but we'll see. Initial thoughts from you and or things that uh, you think could be playing in the Bengals corner this week. Yeah, I mean, like, say what, like, I don't think a lot of Bengals fans have much respect for what the Bills are, but they're, I think, 12th in defensive DVOA, 16th in offensive DVOA. Um, they're just they're just a solid team right now. And obviously, it's only through two weeks, but like, there's just not a ton of holes on that roster, specifically with the defense, like all three levels of that defense has star players. And when you have a, a quarterback like Josh Allen, who for the most part is very volatile, but you can do some fun things with him. And when you put a decent offensive lineup there and you know, a promising running game, there, there's just a lot of potential for this game to be a lot worse than maybe some people imagine it. And I think, like you said, back to week one, like the, I think we all thought the Seahawks were just a better overall team. And that game was primarily close because of what Seattle did and didn't do in terms of the play calling standpoint. I think there's going to be a lot similar uh, factors with that. Like we just saw, like we just talked about, you know, the 49ers usage of 21 personnel against the Bengals and how that ate them up right now. The bills, I think are a top five team in terms of success rate using 21 personnel. So if they stick to that and, you know, they use Allen's mobility and his ability to get outside the pocket and make plays on the move and really tire the Bengals defense out for the second straight week, in Buffalo, which is notoriously a tough place to play, this could be easily a, a, a one or two score victory for Buffalo. But if they don't end up sticking to what they're good at and, and keep the Bengals in the game, I think this is a good opportunity for the Bengals offense to or, or the Bengals defense to kind of come back and take advantage of a quarterback who is mistake prone, who isn't the most accurate and, you know, to kind of collapse down on a running game if it gets stale. So this game has the potential, in my opinion, to go either way. Uh, the spread is very unfair to the Bengals right now because of what they did in week two and the fact that they're playing a two no team at home. But again, that desperation factor don't no one wants to start in three. It's even worse than no two. And it really just depends on, you know, what they took away from the 49ers game to just to bounce back and improve because if they drop this game, this season is really over. Yeah. Carlos Dunlap called the last week an aberration. Um, obviously players say that a lot after a loss. Uh, I believe him to an extent, but I don't know if I fully buy in to that. What do you think? Like, 
we have eyes. Like we saw what happened in 2018. Like we just talked about this team builds through the draft and doesn't do much in free agency. They're they're two big additions in free in this offseason was BW Webb and Jermaine Pratt. BW Webb has looked nothing more than just average to below average and Pratt didn't play. So that defense we saw out there, that was all last year. The only thing that changed were the coaches and they got completely exposed against a brilliant offensive line. So is it an aberration or is it just more than what we saw from last year? Like, again, the things we saw against Seattle are promising, but that was just an opportune moment up against a clueless play caller who, to his credit, did much better against Pittsburgh. I'm talking about Brian Schottenheimer for Seattle, but like, man, like I need to see more than that to, for, for, for me, for you to, for me to buy that this was an aberration because this is just more of the same, which is the, literally the same personnel that we saw last year. What do you think the Bengals need to do in the run game to be more effective? I mean, obviously the offensive line is a mess and that's going to just be the case at least for a while. Um, maybe it improves if Cordy Glenn comes back this, this week, uh, who knows what's going to happen to left guard because it looks like Michael Jordan's probably not going to be out there. So what are either play calls, do you think, or um, I don't know, what, what are they not doing that can at least make it relatively effective? I, I went through all of Mixon and Bernard's run plays for the past two weeks, and the common denominators here was a severe lack of success in, in running inside zone and getting their faces crossed on the strong side of the play, on the front side of the play. And honestly, their second level blocking right now is just piss poor. Whether it's Trey Hopkins or, or John Miller or even Michael Jordan, nobody's getting up to the mic. Nobody's getting up to these linebackers. And yeah, sure, like guys are you're blocking in the first level, but once you know Mixon ha- has to make that read or is getting into the hole, you have an unoccupied linebacker there to make the easiest play of his life. Like Quan Alexander had an amazing game against the Bengals. So did Bobby Wagner the, the, the week before. Being a linebacker against the Bengals right now is just a linebacker's paradise because they're just being untouched and they just read these these simple inside zone plays. So they can get much more creative in terms of play calling, but you also need to be able to identify and find the mic in, in, in the second level of blocking. So it's not a tremendously hard thing to fix, but they just still have to do it. I do think that Billy Price is an upgrade over Michael Jordan at left guard. I'm excited to see what Price does at that position because, unfortunately for Jordan, not only is is he young, but his he's so he plays. Not only is he tall, but he plays so tall. Like Andrew Woodworth being good at left guard was that that was an aberration. Like not a lot of guys his size can play with pad level and leverage like he did playing at left guard. For Michael Jordan, who's six six. Like he doesn't get low enough and guys are able to just kind of dip under him. And I'm talking about linebackers too, and just get easy penetration. So you put inserting price in there, working next to Hopkins, who is a great communicator and great at center right now. I think that can provide an upgrade there. Unfortunately, you still have Andre Smith and Bobby Hart to tackle who will get beat a number of times, both not only in the past game, but also the run game. So the, the issues aren't hard to identify and they're also not hard to fix. But at the end of the day, the, the personnel that you have still has to step up. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I was going to ask you about, you know, the tight ends being more involved in the blocking schemes to help out the offensive line, that sort of thing. I mean, unfortunately, they've put, I, I noticed, I think it was especially last week, CJ Uzama was put on islands with defensive mm-hmm. ends, and 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 that just did not work out well at all. Um, I mean, is this something maybe you use a little more Drew Sample? Uh, to, to mix him in, uh, you know, as, as an additional type of blocker, maybe do, you know, I saw, I saw someone in here. I, I don't remember who it was. Um, uh, oh, it was Michael Myers saying, you know, basically, you know, that, that jumbo package 
extra offensive lineman, though it's predictable. The Bengals used to be able to do that power run game with said Benson. Is that something they need to flirt with? I don't even know if there's enough talent on the offensive line to trot out an extra lineman that, that would be effective. Yeah. And I don't know if this day and age, that type of formation would be effective, but um, I mean, they need to do something to balance that attack. It, it's, it's only effective if you have the personnel to do so. Like I, I'm not, I, I literally just looked this up. The worst graded run blocking tight end is Drew Sample right now for pro football focus. And he had a not very good game against the 49ers. So yeah, you can trot out and do exactly what the 49ers did. But if you're not athletic, if you're not powerful, if you don't get moving to the first level, it's not going to work. It, it just it just creates more congestion for your own game, which if you don't have the blockers to, to gain movement, it's only going to make it worse. Like for, for them for the past couple of years, and it was in their best interest to you know run out of shock and run out of these split, spread formations to minimize the amount of box defenders you have. If you create more box defenders and you don't and you don't give your running backs enough space behind the line of scrimmage to operate and get these long developing plays running, it, it's it's going to lead to even worse. So I think what they need to do is just you know make it more simple and make sure that they execute in terms of second level blocking and they can be somewhat better. Like at the end of the day, your running backs are talented but you're just not giving them enough space to operate. If you create a more congested environment for that run game and do this quote unquote AFC North power football, it's not going to work because you don't have the personnel. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is more important for this, this week Uh, establishing the run and making it, getting it to at least an average type of level uh, in terms of production or in better defense, especially in the the middle part of the defense, um, and from the safeties, improved defense from from really the safeties and the linebackers in particular. I think, like, if you can't pass in this league, if you can't pass at a high level, you're just going to be at a disadvantage for on a week to week basis. And yeah, you would like a stronger running game to support it if, if you don't. But if you can't, like, you just gotta you just gotta hope that the, your defense doesn't get absolutely torched. And obviously, giving up 41 points is not going to happen every week, but if you're in a position where your defense can't carry a, a lackluster quarterback performance, you're just going to be you're just going to be in trouble. And I think it, it might be harder for them to bounce back as a defense compared to you know improving the run game and because you can scheme around that in, in certain areas. But ha- at the end of the day, if, if your quarterback can't can't carry you and and you know he has to score 30 to win, you're you're just put in a tough spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I guess I I'm just I think because we have not seen the run game really show much these these first two weeks, and obviously there's two losses that coincide with that, I think I would like to see the run game, especially with Zach Taylor preaching all offseason how important the run game is, utilizing play action, being able to properly sell that. Um, you know, I, I would like to see that. Maybe that requires, you know, a, a weird – pass to set up the run. You know, the passing game's been there. They've put up the yards. Uh, Andy Dalton has missed some throws and and he's hit some others, but um, maybe a pass to set up the run instead of vice versa. I don't know, but, um, you know, I'd like to see that balance. And I think that that would go a long way, especially this week to kind of, if you've got the defense on its heels a little bit, that's what Zach Taylor obviously has wanted and he has not been able to get because of offensive line deficiencies. Um, you know, like you said, free running linebackers on the other team. Uh, a lot of times I notice Joe Mixon gets the handoff and there's a guy already at his, at his legs again. He's uh, very used to just bouncing off like yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty sad. What about prediction for this week, John? I I would probably say the bills by like seven or 10. I think that they're just the better overall team. It's, 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 
it's just tough for the Bengals for where they are right now to, to come back from that performance. And it, it doesn't help that they're facing, you know, a, a well-rounded team on the road. Like, like again, like I, I personally don't have a problem with how Zach Taylor's running this offense. I think that, yeah, in, in, in theory, you would like to see a run, a run pass balanced offense, but if the run game isn't working, you can't just keep forcing it down their throats. If, if you, if you can't go anywhere, you have to rely on the passing game to, to, to get the ball moving in. I want to see, you know, better production past the first 15 plays, what is known as like the scripted part of the game and, you know, better efficiency from Dalton because, you know, the Bills, Bills have a talented secondary and the talented defense. But at the end of the day, you have one of the most talented receiving cores in the NFL and an offensive line that for the most part of the game will be able to get it done. So I I, want to see. I don't want to see them go towards the running game 30 times a game. If it's not going to work, I want to see this, this process continuing to, to develop. And, and unless something miraculous happens, I, I, it, it just may not be enough on talent alone. Yeah. Brian McHugh in the live YouTube chat says, I don't care what we do run or pass. I think this is a must win game. I think we're going to be surprised though. Bengals by 10. Wow. Uh, I think, I think the Bengals will cover the spread, but I don't, I don't think they win. Um, it would not surprise me if they did though. Uh, I, I think a lot of things would need to go right for them. I think they would need to play their best, obviously their best type of football they have so than they have so far this year. Um, I think it might require a surprise return of Cordy Glenn, um, something like that. But uh, you know, I, I think this is a winnable game. I said that on the onset. I think this is a winnable game. I think I don't think this is you know going into New England and you know doing that. But I I, I just. I, I don't I did not like what I saw last week at all. I did not like what I saw last week. No, nor did any Bengals fan really. I'm sure, but I, I mean, even from under the surface level, yeah. uh, body language and like I said, effort level. The fact that the first drive of the game, John, was you got the opening kickoff, you got a holding penalty on the kickoff, then it's sack on first down. Your running back fumbles the ball on second down, falls on it. And third down, you throw a short pass, and then you punt the ball away. That that's not how you start a game at home in your opener. That, I mean, that's just ill prepared. So there's the surface level of oh, you know, they got blown out, and all that kind of stuff. But there's other stuff as you kind of sift through that. You go, that's really troubling. That's really troubling. And um, maybe it was just like a, like a perfect storm of of things last week. But I do think they play better. I don't know that they come out on top this week. Would not surprise me, but. Um, I guess I would say 20 to 17 bills uh, at this point is, is probably my, um, my prediction. So we'll see. Uh, Peter Nefa says the next two games are winnable. They are, they are. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Hopefully they can turn some things around, but uh, it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot more focus and some guys returning back to the lineup. John, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah. I mean, again, this is an important, a crucial part of the season. Exile and Oblivion just said the next three games. The third game of that docket would be the Cardinals, who are who are really trying to bring the air in the NFL. But yeah, like Josh Allen, then Mason Rudolph, and Kyler Kyler Murray. Like these, these are inexperienced quarterbacks, quarterbacks who are prone to mistakes. But like, 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 like you said, man, like. It, it, it was a loss and the NFL is a week to week thing. And you, you, you would think that you know, teams are able to bounce back. But like you said, there was just a lot of issues that were exposed in this game that, that lead me to believe that they're just, they're just, they're just bigger problems under, under the surface of this team. And this, this game is going to tell us a lot about how they respond. 
it, it is going to tell us a lot about about this team, about its mindset, about its coaches. Uh, I, I think this this is a a big test early in the season for the Bengals. Um, hopefully they they rise up to the challenge there. But this is a a an immense test for the team. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is one of those throw the film out, don't even watch it type of thing. Um, I, I would, you know, one of those old adages that, that football teams use, but I, I, I think you need to re-examine a lot of your uh, of schemes, what you're doing, all of that. And hopefully the Bengals have done that this week. I do want to say a quick thanks to uh, um, the, the guys at uh, ESPN radio, Rochester. Um, they, uh, Mike Danger and Gene Battaglia were the two hosts uh, of the, the Sports Bar. That's the name of their show. And uh, a very aptly named because it's uh, basically kind of after work drive time, uh, maybe happy hour type of radio. So um, pretty, pretty apropos name, but good guys. We had a good interview and that'll be up uh, on our on our stream of of audio as well. So I uh, just want to say a quick thank you to them and uh, pretty they asked some pretty entertaining questions. Um, so uh, it, it was a fun time talking to them and I appreciate their their uh, cordial nature and having me on. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. As always, as I've mentioned a couple times, you can get this show wherever you get your podcasts: iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, many others, Megaphone. Um, we also have the YouTube channels for, for videos like this, both to watch live and after the fact, as well as all of our content being on cincyjungle.com. We'll also be doing post-game reactions. Uh, that'll be on our stream as well, so keep your eye out for that. We also have a couple of upcoming announcements about this show, about the SB Nation channel and all of that, so uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated as those come as well. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time, and hopefully the Bengals next week will be talking about a 1-2 and two start instead of a, an 0-3 start, right? See you, Johnny. See you, man.